your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. This is the same Purdue team that beat fifth-ranked Virginia by 29. My friends, Burke with a 25-footer. Got it! Bang! A ring! Deshaun Burke! 63 to 52, Nebraska. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. Happy Monday, everybody. Hopefully, everybody's coming off the weekend in good shape. Had a nice, safe Christmas. Gearing up for New Year's Eve tomorrow. Hopefully, everybody had uh, some good time with, with family. How was Bobby's first Christmas? It was okay. You know, I don't know that he knew what to make of it all. I think by the end he understood that paper was for Taryn. Uh, he was playing with some of his toys, not just the boxes, but he started in the boxes, as as you would expect, uh, a uh, not-quite-11-month-old. But uh, he handled it okay. I think he enjoyed it. He likes people a whole lot more than his dad does. So <laughs> so, so the social stuff was pretty cool for him. Turns out, you know, people are excited to see Bobby when oh, they walk through the door, yeah, unlike Nate. Cute. Yeah, I, I just eat all the food. I mean... That's they, what it's there for. Yeah, I... I get rid of the food, and that's about it. Bobby's yeah. actually actually kind of cute and kind of interesting. <laughs> well, good. Hopefully everybody had a, a wonderful Christmas and uh, looking forward to the new year here coming up and some great bowl games. we got a lot to get to on the next three hours of the program. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll talk some college football with Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. We'll recap a little bit what we saw last week with the two college football semifinal games. Uh, some one good one and one really, really, really bad one. <laughs> and uh, we'll see what Adam has to say about that and preview a little bit of the national championship and what's left of bowl season. We're flying through these bowl games uh, with another big one here t- tonight in about an hour, as Austin told you, as the uh, fighting Lovey Smiths in action right now. They just scored a touchdown at last look, but they're still down uh, two scores with half the fourth quarter to play. Uh, but a big one tonight in Miami with Virginia and Florida. Uh, So we'll talk with Adam. Also, counting down 2019, we've got two moments to do tonight on our 2019 Husker Sports Network's best moments, moment number two and moment number one. We're double dipping tonight. We procrastinated one day too long, Nate, and having to to double up. Yeah, us procrastinating, that never happens. I don't know. Yeah, it's... It should have been expected by now. If, if there was a, a, a live feed of my college career, <laughs> it, it, would, it would have been expected that well, this was going to happen. Or really my independent life. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to get better, but let's be honest. I, I was the kid that always waited until until about 9 o'clock the night before to start most papers oh, and yeah. such. And- Easy. Uh, yeah, obviously that was that was the case for myself as well. But we will cross off the list tonight with moments two and one. Coming up in hour two, our Nebraska men's basketball radio hour. We're double dipping there as well. Two Nebraska assistants will join us. Assistant coach Matt Abdelmassi will be in for half, and we'll split it up and uh, get inside the mind of Bobby Lutz, Coach Bobby Lutz, who has been around the game a long, long time and came uh, over to Coach Hoiberg's staff as a, as an analyst and. Uh, intrigued to hear from Coach Luce about you know his role and how it's going through the first handful of games as we enter conference play. But that's a guy that's been around the game a long, long time. You think of Fred Hoiberg's staff. You have Fred Hoiberg who has extensive experience at both the college and professional levels as both a player and a coach. Then you've got two former head coaches and Doc Sadler and Bobby Lutz and then uh, you have Matt Abdelmassi who's an excellent recruiter and then uh, you have a guy that was around here last year so uh, just a lot of experience a lot of knowledge on that bench I happened to uh, be able to sit right next to the Husker uh, bench yesterday I, I was helping out the TV crew and Bobby Lutz was very active very chatty on the uh, on the bench yesterday yeah you have that much experience and, and why not use it so Coach Hoiberg bringing Coach Lutz uh, onto the staff and looking forward to talking with him here tonight as well. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, Nate will take a look back at our weekend with our weekend rewind. 
And uh, moment number one will come your way in the 8 o'clock hour as well. Of course, taking your calls tonight, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371, the number to our Woodhouse Auto Family hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. <clears throat> this is Woodhouse. Nate, let's start with the semifinal games and uh, and what to what to make of them, uh, starting first with the beatdown that was LSU and Oklahoma. I think we all knew going in that LSU was a heavy favorite. Nobody expected seven touchdowns from Joe Burrow in the first half, and just a, just an utter throttling of of the OU Sooners. And uh, they proved why they they are in the number one seed. I mean, that's that's a really really good football team that uh, has America on alert after what they did. Really good football team, really complete, highly talented. Um, you know, Oklahoma had some guys out due to suspension. Uh, you had the ejection of, uh, of bookie after his targeting call. Uh, but really that defensive backfield wasn't doing any good anyway. So I, I think, OU fell into a bad matchup with an LSU team that has just so many weapons and so many guys you have to deal with starting with the quarterback and I think Joe Burrow you know this whole season has had a chip on his shoulder thinking about not getting the starting job at Ohio State uh he was kind of off the national radar coming in. They've found a magic combination with Brady on that staff, uh, really accentuating what Joe Burrow can do. LSU's always had talent. They've always had dudes that are better than everybody else's dudes, but they just hadn't been using them, hadn't been using them well. Uh, But they've kicked it into hyperdrive now, and, and they look like a frightful team. I mean, the schedule they played the the resume they've built up it's tough to see them dropping this game to Clemson coming up in a couple of weeks they just looked so complete so focused so locked in you hope they don't read too much into the first half of of that playoff semifinal take too much of the rat poison as Nick Saban would say if they keep their heads on straight if they stay on the right track they don't get beat that simple yeah, I mean, it's it's still a little weird to see an LSU offense move that easily up and down the field. I mean, we're yeah. so used to watching bad LSU offense for years, and to see it literally turned on its head is, is quite amazing. All right, let's talk Clemson Buckeyes. We knew this was going to be a good game. Ohio State throws the first punch, and you kind of felt like the, the, the red zone opportunities that they squander, and I thought there were a couple of shots that they had of Ryan Day on the sideline just distraught while the team was in control of the game. Yeah that you thought he knew that his team was going to need some more points. And unfortunately for them, those opportunities in the end ended up costing them some really, really bad calls against Ohio State in that game. Did not help their case, but ultimately Clemson gets it done. Justin Fields throws one pick the entire year and then throws two in that game, including one on the last possession. Uh, just really, really bad timing for miscommunication. And unfortunately, their perfect season is now over. And Clemson advances to another national championship game. Not many teams could sit there down 16 nothing to that Ohio State team and go, eh, we're okay. We just need to find a way. And you talk about the bad calls, and there's been a lot of conversation about the targeting call. By the letter of the law, it's the right call. Now, did what he did match the punishment of Ohio State losing their starting safety? No. No, it did not. But – by the letter of the law, it's probably the right call. Uh, it, but it totally shifted that game. It took uh, Clemson from getting the drive stopped to scoring their first score of the game. And you're exactly right. The red zone futility of Ohio State. I would be interested to go through – I'm sure somebody has. But you see this all the time where teams get into the red zone early. And they're able to advance inside the 20, but they have to settle for threes instead of touchdowns. And how many times can you get away with that and and still win a football game? And when you go 0 for 3 in the red zone, uh, that opens the door pretty wide. That's given Clemson a lot of faith and a lot of life to say, you know what, we're okay. We'll be all right. We, you know. 
we can score a touchdown and undo two of those drives. And, and I was just thinking about the play calling of Ryan Day, remembering his play calling the first time they got inside the red zone. It was like a short side run and maybe a pass to the short side. I thought the play calling in the red zone was really, really poor. And, and if you don't call the right plays against a great defense like Clemson, well, then then you're not going to score. So the play calling wasn't great. Obviously, there were some holes in execution, and that led Ohio State to squandering great opportunities to knock out Clemson early. Because you get up 21 nothing in that game. I don't care yeah. how, how big the heart of the champion is in you. You're up 21 nothing against Ohio State with Chase Young able to pin his ears back. You're in a lot of trouble. And instead, it was 16 nothing. The door stayed open and Clemson walked through. To me, the, the biggest takeaway from the, the, the blown officiating, um, first of all, the, the call that, that reversed the scoop and score was utter trash. Mm-hmm. That was just a horrid, horrid call. And the fact that it was called a fumble, that they saw convincing, clear evidence to overturn that is is, is mind blowing to me, but but to me the big one is is the targeting, and 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 you kind of said it best when you said does the punish punishment fit the crime, and and the big knock on the targeting call has been you can't judge intent. Yeah. Well, isn't that what you're doing when you're reviewing the call in the first place? Mm-hmm. You, you're reviewing to see you know if if subsequently the defender you know followed this criteria and 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 within the structure of the rule committed this foul to me there's no better example of judging intent than what happened in the two targeting targeting calls in both of the games Mm -hmm. right radley hiles from oklahoma whose name still lingers around lincoln launched himself at a player without the ball and he was on defense like that is as that is blatant and, and and obvious as it gets in terms of intent. He intended to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're Sean Wade and you're coming through a blitz through the A gap, and you're getting ready to tackle a six foot six quarterback who then ducks his head in protection of himself, and you duck your head to try and make the tackle, and that so happens that your heads collide. That by letter of the law is targeting. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell me that he intended to do that no. and that Radley Hiles did not intend to do that and those punishments should be the same. Yeah. That's my big takeaway is now Ohio State was out and, and Wade was unbelievable against Nebraska, mm-hmm. shutting J.D. Spielman down out of the slot, manning him up and taking him out of the game. That completely changed everything from Ohio State's secondary with him being ejected. You could stomach the 15-yard penalty, but you're regurgitating the fact that you're without your starting safety and without your slot cover guy. Right. So that's what needs to be looked at. That changed the entire game. We're to the point now where we're targeting it needs to be looked at. There are certain parts to that rule that need to be analyzed. And, 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 and how the fouls are, are called and the punishments to the fouls should be step one. Yeah, there should be two different grades. I mean, if you still want to flag Wade for his hit on Trevor Lawrence, okay. Uh, you know, 15 yards is a pretty harsh deterrent for anybody to to try and and hit a guy with your own helmet. But you think about it, you have face masks that are 15 yards that are still, you know, you're not trying to face yeah. mask the guy, but your hand gets stuck in the grill and, and you turn his head and it becomes a 15-yard face mask. But the idea that that kid should get kicked out of – the most important football game he'll play in in his life and, and miss two and a half quarters, you know, because of some circumstances. I, I think that's wrong. And, and that's where review should come in. That's where that there should be a little more leniency and understanding of what a guy is actually trying to do in, in the context uh, of playing his position. And, and there should be a different set of criteria, different look at things when a guy is trying to tackle a ball carrier as opposed to when there's a pass over the middle and it's clearly past the guy and you're reasonably confident that he won't catch the ball. I, 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 and you're right, that call changed the game because the game was just hanging there. It, you, you were just way, okay, Ohio State had a chance to lock this thing down, put it away. 
and, and they haven't done it, and all Clemson needs is a little something to get them going. That was the little something, and from there, you know, Clemson dictated the rest of the game. Good on them for hanging in. Good on them for playing good defense in the red zone. But you know, at the same time, they got a little crack and they took it. And, and you're right on the scoop and score. You know that that's a situation where the call on the field should reign. The call on the field should dictate. The dude took three yeah. and a half steps. Yeah. If that's not an athletic move, I don't know what is. Right. It, and the ball came out. The guy stripped him. Uh, I, I was baffled. It, you know, and it goes the other way too. If you're gonna, if that were ruled an incomplete pass on the field, yeah, he took three steps. But okay, I can you could understand. live with it. Yeah, because because it felt like there was enough. It, it didn't feel like there was enough evidence to say one way or another. It didn't feel like there was enough evidence to say a football move was made or otherwise. So you stick with call on the field, or at least you should. They didn't in that scenario. Yeah, just just a lot of things happened in that game, unfortunately, for Ohio State. A lot of them happened against them. A couple other things we need to hit on. Big win for Nebraska ball yesterday to just get back on the winning track. Look forward to talking with Coach Abdul Massey and Coach Lutz. I mean, it's to the point now, Nate, where you're just you're taking every win you can get. You don't apologize who you beat or how many you win by. But you just take it and you move on and you know, you hope that you're learning from every single experience out every time out on the floor. It's interesting, though, yesterday against uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, Nebraska won despite not shooting all that well. And the book on this team is they've got to shoot well to play well. Well, they they shot pretty poorly, to be honest with you. And, and through good defense, through turning A&M Corpus Christi over, uh, they were able to create some easy opportunities for themselves. They got to the foul line a whole lot, and they were able to win. So they were, fu- they were able to find a way to win other than just – outscoring somebody that's an encouraging sign and then just coming out of out of Christmas break and there were periods where Nebraska was dominant I mean there was a 10 minute period where Texas A&M Corpus Christi hit one field goal that's that's a nice statement about where your team is and where the effort is and and the fact that they were able to lean on their defense in that way to win uh, it's a nice statement it's not doesn't mean they're going to the Final Four, but it's a good step in the right direction, especially after North Dakota. We'll hear with a, what a couple of Husker assistants have to say about the game in the 7 o'clock hour with our men's basketball radio hour. And uh, news came down late this afternoon that a former Nebraska defensive coordinator has landed a job at another Big Ten school. Bob Diaco, who spent last season as the D.C. in Ruston, Louisiana at Louisiana Tech, is heading back to the state of Indiana where he was once the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He is going to work with Coach Brom at the University of Purdue as defensive coordinator. Between Bob Diaco and Purdue Pete, there are a couple of <laughs> very menacing glares and golden black. My my soul chills just thinking about it. <laughs> the, uh, the matchup to open the season next year just got a whole lot more interesting. Um, both teams are going to be feeling the strain of the offseason. And it's just going to be a, an interesting, intriguing storyline when these two teams uh, tee it up to begin 2020 season. But the real question, what high-dollar suit does Bob Diaco wear when it's 110 degrees to Memorial Stadium? Yeah, I mean, there's no reasonable reason to believe that that, that will happen otherwise. We'll take a break. Coming up next on Sports Nightly, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN will stop by. Off and rolling on a sports nightly Monday night. Thanks to everybody for joining us here tonight. Hopefully, for some of you, back to work. Your first day back to work went swimmingly. Got New Year's coming up this week in just a couple of days, which means lots of bowl games to talk about. We welcome into the program now Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Adam, been an interesting bowl season so far. Already flying by, flying through these bowl games. What have you made so far a bowl season? Yeah, well, I mean, it's an interesting schedule. We've already had the playoffs, and then we have a bunch of bowl games going on uh, today and tomorrow, and then the New Year's Day games, and we have to wait you know, two more weeks until the national title game. So it was a weird regular season with 14 weeks and two uh, open weeks for every team, and now we've kind of had a, an odd schedule in the postseason with you know, the most important games already in the books and the most important games still two weeks away, but still a lot to watch here, and 
and, and a lot of teams in action. Well, I wish I wish I could say that there was a surprise in the in the first two playoff games. I think they both kind of went how we would thought. Maybe Ohio State Clemson result maybe a little different than what we thought, but we knew that'd be a great game. We knew whoever was that fourth team would have a a monstrous challenge with LSU. Let's first start with that one. I mean, this LSU team's something else. Did, did you see this any of this coming with LSU's offense? You know, going into the year, I thought they would be better. You know, in talking to some coaches on the staff, they were really optimistic about how good they could be and how good Joe Burrow could be. But I don't think anyone foresaw, you know, this the record-setting performance and, and just looking unstoppable, especially their passing game for much of the year. And so that part has been a surprise, and it just shows you how certain players can improve. You know, Joe Burrow a year ago was – was a good player but it was kind of just the guy and now he's the best player in college football and probably the number one overall draft pick in the nfl in the springtime so it, you know it's really a credit to him and to the coaching staff and you know joe brady coming in from the nfl has really helped them and i, I thought they would win easily i didn't think they would uh, he would have seven touchdown mm-hmm. passes in the first half eight total touchdowns that's that's really remarkable, and uh, I, I just don't know if anyone's going to beat LSU as good as Clemson is, 29 in a row, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and all those great players that Dabo Sweeney has who know how to win a national title. It just feels like it's LSU's year, so Clemson's going to have to go and take it from them, in my view. We knew it was going to be a great game between the Tigers and the Buckeyes, and, and a couple things here and there, we're going we're gonna to swing that game. Kind of Everybody probably anticipated that coming in. Um, but when you're watching these two teams play, what's standing out? What's standing out to you during during this game about maybe the personnel on the field, but but also what type of, of game you were watching? It was a really high level game, and you know there's been a lot of uh, notable and justified criticism for the semifinals not being competitive. This one certainly lived up to the billing with Ohio State controlling early and you know some you know, some things went against the Buckeyes. Clemson comes back, and I was so impressed with Trevor Lawrence. You know, even when they're pinned deep there um, late in the fourth quarter, it takes mm-hmm. four plays in less than two minutes to go downfield to reclaim the lead. And, you know, uh, Clemson certainly had breaks uh, that, that went in its favor. Um, but uh, as a defending national champ, that, that often happens. And Ohio State still had an opportunity to win at the end. And unfortunately, it came down to that miscommunication between Justin Fields and uh, Chris Olave. And so uh, Clemson marches on and you know, they have a chance to just reaffirm themselves as the, the program in college football with a second, second consecutive national title. It would be three and four years, and, and it's just remarkable what they've done. But uh, this, would, you know, this is the first time – well, I shouldn't say first time, but this would really feel like, in my mind, a bit of an upset because of how, how well LSU's playing and the fact the game's in New Orleans. Yeah, no question, no question about that. Um... Uh, you mentioned the, the, the criticism of, of some of the, the calls in the game, and that, that's been something that's talked about 48 hours after the fact. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest gripe people are having is with the targeting, and unfortunately you, know, you had polar opposites in, in both games. You had the Radley-Hiles hit in the, in the Oklahoma game, and then you had you know, the questionable call on Sean Wade. Where are you at with the targeting rule, how it's applied, and kind of the direction that it's going in football? Yeah, well, it's. It, I think it needs further clarification. Um, you know, it was. Uh, uh, it's. 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 By 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 the by the letter of the rule. I mean, I, I know that the the Ohio State fans are upset, but I did see Sean Wade lower his head, and that's going to get called more often than not. Um, you know, even though I don't think there was any sort of intent to injure Trevor Lawrence, um, and that may be part of modifying this thing going forward. That. You know, unless there's just a headhunting type play, uh, a player can remain in the game. And I know they're trying to make it safe. And but 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 you know, you, you just hate to see that when when clearly you know, John Wade's not trying to uh, commit a penalty in that situation. They they had Clemson stop. They had firm control of the game. And so you know, that was unfortunate. I mean, the issue, the one I I really still don't understand is how that uh, you know fumble. Return yeah. for a touchdown after a catch, it was able to be overturned. It, it just it, with the replay showing, you know, seemingly enough time to establish control uh, for the Clemson player, and then you know uh, for that to be overturned, I just don't get it. And, and that's again, Ohio State had two touchdowns taken off the board. Didn't have a huge problem with the first one because there wasn't control through the catch. But wow, uh, it certainly, as Ryan Day said, uh, a handful of plays really determined that game, and most of them went against Ohio State. Three and a half steps, that, that's enough for me to make an athletic move, but 
yeah, the, the, apparently the refs didn't see it that way, and unfortunately for Ohio State, a big play in that game. Uh, well, we've got plenty of time to talk uh, to talk LSU Clemson. What, what's next on your interest? What, what are these, the Rose Bowl? Uh, what, what game kind of has your attention, an eager matchup, maybe Michigan-Bama? Is there any, is there any game that kind of has your eye right now? Well, you know, I think Michigan-Bama is interesting because uh, Michigan ended both teams ended the season on on you know on a low note, especially Michigan getting blown out again by Ohio State. A lot of people are kind of wondering where Michigan's program is headed under Jim Harbaugh, and this is uh, you know this is a game to to show something or to continue to uh, get overwhelmed against elite competition. You know, for Alabama, they haven't been in this position where they're not part of the playoff. What type of Alabama are we going to get? Um, you know, against Michigan. And then the Rose Bowl is always intriguing. I think this is a really even matchup between Oregon and Wisconsin. Both teams uh, really feature their offensive line. You know, both have an elite offensive player in Jonathan Taylor for Wisconsin and Justin Herbert for Oregon. And so um, and both teams play great defense. So I'm very excited to see how that one shakes out. And, you know, the Big Ten, it doesn't win the, uh, the semifinal, but certainly gained some respect as far as Ohio State. It wasn't like the last couple of Big Ten playoff appearances. The league already has a win in the Cotton Bowl. They can get a win in the Rose Bowl. Pretty decent bowl season overall for, for the Big Ten, no matter how the other games shake out. Yeah, Adam was just about to let you, let you go with that one. Where, where you come down on, uh, on this t- time of the year with conferences maybe establishing strength or you know, something to prove with, uh, with other conferences? Do, do you put a lot of that into the bowl games or not? really i don't put a ton of it i think it's so much uh there's so many variables in bowl games you know is it really an even matchup what's going on with the coaching situation what's going on with the injury situation who's sitting out bowl games on one side or the other those have to be factored in but i think the the top level bowl games certainly the playoff and in the new year's six games and you know even a game like the holiday bowl iowa you know being able to beat usc definitively I think that speaks pretty well for, for the strength. It is a good year for the Big Ten. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's another year without a national title, but you had a, a lot of teams get to 10 wins. Michigan could still get to 10 wins if they're able to upset Alabama. So I, I think this conference is in much better shape than it was you know, six or seven years ago when not only was the Big Ten not getting into or winning the national championship, but the bowl season, you know, you typically saw a lopsided record in bowl season. So it really isn't everything to me. I think there's other variables, but the, you know, kind of the higher level bowls, how your best teams perform uh, against, you know, relatively equal competition. That, that's a good gauge of how good a conference is or not. Yeah, well said. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Adam, we appreciate you joining us, man. Have a great uh, new year. Thanks a lot for joining us. Hopefully these bull games treat you with some entertainment. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Look forward to talking again soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, and happy new year. And to you as well, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Sports Nightly on a Monday night continues along. Best moments of 2019. The countdown rolls on. The Sports Nightly Top 10 Moments of the Year. Left side for the match. Maddie Kubik. She got it! They did it! Nebraska beats Penn State. It's now the Magnificent Seven comes through. Measuring it. Waiting for it. He gloves it. And the Huskers have beaten number three, Texas Tech. Here in Frisco, Texas tonight. Nine, eight. Sam Hybe goes the way of God! Sam Hybe gives Nebraska four points. has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all-time games. Number two. Tip shot, Pittman and Megan with the uh, outside set for the match. Matic Kubik, they did it! Call the grandkids! Nebraska 15, Minnesota 3. The Huskers take down the mighty Gophers on the road in five. Three set to two, and Nebraska has won seven in a row. And happy to welcome into the program one of my favorite people on the earth, the voice of Husker Volleyball, John Baylor. JB, did you have a great holiday? Ben, I did. I've got a wider waistline to prove it. (laughs) So glad to hear everything went well and very happy to be uh, on the phone with you right now. Well, we were were on the road, JB, uh, for football when this match was happening. Uh And uh, we're following along and we're thinking our stat cast is broken and set five. What the heck happened? <laughs> Maddie Kubik went wild. They couldn't <laughs> stop her. She had seven kills. Minnesota, as a team, only had one in the entire fifth set. Megan Miller, her finest hour, served ten straight points. 
15 to 3, a laugher in the fifth set on the road. It turned Minnesota's gym into a mausoleum. <laughs> well, what was going through your mind, JB, after set four? Huskers win the first two, they lose set three, and get demolished in set four. Yeah. I was thinking it was a distressing point in Nebraska volleyball season. In fact, Coach Cook had pulled the starters. There's something you just never see. He conceded the game. It was so ugly. 25 to 11, the verdict in set four. And then, boom, all of a sudden, um, uh, the Huskers huddle up. Lauren Stiverns takes over the huddle. The Big Ten cameras, now we're not a big TV fans here, but I understand that television does play a role in the uh, publicizing of athletic events. And the TV cameras caught Lauren in the middle of the huddle just taking charge and exhorting her teammates, and they were just listening with rapt attention. And it was a different team that came out. I wish in life, you know, you're having a tough week, maybe a tough junior prom, and boom. This thing's uh, suddenly improve and everyone's getting along better. But it was amazing how, you know, the imposters that were wearing Husker jerseys in set four took off and we had the real Huskers show up for set five. A lot of big nights uh, for both teams. You know, you look at Minnesota and uh, Alexis Hart, 35 swings, 18 kills for the Huskers. Matty Kubik, 20 kills. You mentioned the fifth set. When did you realize in this season, JB, that, that Matty Kubik was going to help this team? Not just a little bit, but a big piece of it. Oh, it probably fourth week, late September. Um, beginning of the season, one of the many unknowns for the uh, 2019 Huskers is, was the outside position. You're replacing Michaela Fecky and, you know, and in the prior four years, whenever you're in trouble, it's just MFT, Michaela Fecky time. And now we're looking at Lexi's son, and we're looking at Matty Cooper, and we're not sure under duress to what extent they can terminate. And they started, the two of them showing us in late September and certainly showing us by the Minnesota match. They were reliable. In fact, there were matches where Maddie was better out of system than in system, that somehow it was the stress of, of the high moonbeam set and the four hands in her face that brought out her best, and she got better and better at what's called tooling the block and just firing the ball right off the outside hands of the, uh, the blocker in front of her, and it ricochets out of bounds. So about mid-October mid at the latest, you got to realize that not only was she going to be a great Husker eventually, but in the present. You looked at the way that season ended and how strong that team came on at the end and unfortunately ran into just a buzzsaw in Madison with Wisconsin. Yep. Um, when, you're, when you're looking forward to this year already, this next coming year, what, what is it about the, the way that this season finished for you that's going to pump you up when this thing rolls around again in the fall? Well, you've got, you've got real firepower. You know, Lauren Stiverns is a known commodity. Jazz Sweet was showing that she's like a fine wine, improving with time come late November and certainly the month of December. Uh, we've, got an, we've got an issue in, in the, uh, offensively with Callie. Uh, we, she's got, you know, she's got season three coming up. So hopefully she can, she can get rolling offensively and, and connect with Nicklin better. And we've got proven outside. So we know we've got the offense, but Texas had the offense this year. What Texas didn't have was reliable passing. And they also didn't have reliable setting. We didn't have always reliable passing. we had pretty solid setting all year. So what makes me excited is the firepower, but there've been a lot of teams historically that just couldn't get the ball to their hitters where and when they wanted to. So the 2020 Huskers, like the 2019 Huskers, are going to are gonna pre- go as far as the passing will go. And for 2019, it was two freshmen, Kenzie Knuckles and Matty Kubik, you know, two-thirds of the time at least passing the ball. And those are true freshmen. So understandably, there was some inconsistency. Hopefully, that can really be fixed for 2020. No doubt. Well, that was an, an exceptional night for Husker Volleyball, and, and that fifth set was, was just something unbelievable uh, yep. to see. And, and it was a big night for the Huskers. Unfortunately, uh, the Final Four streak is over, but still a heck of the year for John Cook's Huskers. JB, thanks so much for jumping on and reminiscing with us. That was such a fun match, I'm sure, for you and Lauren to call. And, and it, I know the season you know, would have loved to end in Pittsburgh, but unfortunately it didn't. Yep. But still a great season nonetheless. I like reminiscing when it's pleasant. When it's unpleasant, I like forgetting. <laughs> You're a smart man, and there's a reason why we keep you on staff, JB. You keep us all grounded. Now, ben, I saw an announcement that you might be expecting your first child. Is any of that true? That is, that is the rumor that my wife tells wow. me. Um, what are the names you're thinking about, Ed? 
Doug, Rick, what do you think? We're thinking John, if it's a boy, if you're okay hey. with that. Solid. A British <laughs> royal name. Very nice. As long as he ends up in Stanford, we're happy. Very nice. Start saving your ducats right now. <laughs> well, I hear that school is a little pricey, but I know he's going to score a monster ACT score and uh, probably get a full scholarship. JB, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ben. All right, bye-bye. John Baylor with us here on Sports Nightly. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Here's Kevin Cross, scrambles for the loose ball off the green mist. Thor with a three. Bang! A ring! Thor, Tarbjarnison with a trio, his second of the afternoon. An inside look at what's going on around Nebraska basketball. Kaufmanis threw it away into the hands of Mack. Here he comes down the floor, a three-on-one. The lob and the dunk! Green with a lob from Mack. Green with a smashing dunk, and it's 55-37, to 37, and the crowd lights up. Tonight, assistant coach Matt Abdulmasi. Mack across the timeline. Screen for him by Oguedraogo. Kick out, Kabas on the way. Shot is perfect. Salt Creek sharpshooter, Mate Kabas. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, Ben McLaughlin. Good evening and welcome to the Nebraska Men's Basketball Radio Hour. We're on from 7 to 8 o'clock tonight, taking your calls and questions. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. The number to our Woodhouse Auto Family hotline. If you want to be a part of the show, feel free to give us a call, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. We welcome in Husker assistant coach Matt Abdelmassey. Coach, did you have a good, uh, good holiday? Yeah, it was good. Nice and short, but uh, good to be with the family. First one in Nebraska. How, first how, did, one in uh, Nebraska. how did Shea put up with his first? Uh... Well, I think he was upset that there was no snow. It was like 60 degrees. Probably was confused on where exactly we moved to. Well, uh, it's, you never know what you're going to get this time of year yeah. in Lincoln, as, as you're finding out. Um, how's the transition gone, man? I know it's hard. That's part of the being a coach that yeah. uh, we don't get we don't get talked about too much. Usually, when you guys are first hired, that's it. But you're moving your families all around. You're some of you putting kids in schools and finding a place to live. How, yeah. how have you adjusted? Oh, it was it's been fine. I mean, I, I guess what helps the transition is when you have uh, pretty much an entire roster to to fill up, and you know, I, it was such a blur April second to. Really, this point, um, I don't think we've really settled in and realized we even live in Nebraska yet. It's been such a blur. But, I mean, it's all great. You know, it's been uh, awesome being welcomed welcomed by such a great community. And uh, people here have been tremendous, exactly what uh, I thought moving back to the Midwest, how the people are here. And that's a great breath of fresh air. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably spent more nights in a in a hotel and, and yeah. overseas maybe even since being in Lincoln. I know we, when we were in Italy, you were you were yeah. probably ready to come back before yeah, that thing even absolutely. got started. Absolutely, yeah. No offense to Embassy Suites, but I'll hopefully never go walk back into Embassy Suites <laughs> after living there for 30 nights. And um, But, yeah, I it's literally been go since uh, we got here and, you know, really happy about where we're at today and our program and – um, but to sit back and realize everything, hopefully we'll be able to get to that, do that in the, this coming off season. No matter what happens this year, win, loss, record, postseason, whatever, I, we're all going to remember this team because for as much as you've been around basketball, Seamus has been around basketball, I've been around basketball, Coach Hoy, we've never, none of us have ever seen this thing before where you're, <laughs> you're finding, you're literally finding guys to play on the floor together to fill up scholarships. What's this been like for you as a coach to number one, first find these guys and one of them come take a shot in Lincoln, but then trying to figure out how this thing's going to work on the floor? Uh, well, I guess fortunately and for my wife, unfortunately, <laughs> this has been my third job in college basketball where it's been a complete rebuild. At Iowa State, took over a complete rebuild. At St. John's, we had nine scholarships that I filled in a very short time, and you know, clearly here are the stories out there. Um, so... Is it difficult? Absolutely. But I, I would say that the one thing that made it a little bit easier here is I was able to use contacts 
um, that I was working on throughout the year to where I could just pick that up. And the one thing that's challenging is you have to get them to believe in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. um, not the easiest thing in the world to do on the fly like that after you've been selling a previous place for so long and building their trust on that specific place and then you make the move. Uh, but that's where the trust comes into play. I mean, that's everything in the recruiting process. When they trust you, uh, it doesn't matter where it is in the country. They're, they're going to believe that it's the best place for them. You know, fortunately, with some of our players on this team, they believed in uh, what I was telling them. And um, so that that did make it a little bit easier. Before we talk about um, specific examples, how much responsibility do you then feel? You know, to, if, if you're, you're kind of the backbone, you know, <laughs> yeah. when, when these kids are taking a shot yeah. of coming from wherever, yeah. you're probably the first guy they go to of saying, look, yeah. what's the deal here? What's this all about? I'm missing home. I'm missing mom. I'm missing brother. Yeah. Where's your role come in there? Yeah. I mean, clearly pretty significant. I mean, um, I am their first phone call and, um, you know, you're just trying to guide them in the right direction, give them perspective and, you know, learn from every different example that, you know, they're facing every single day. It is a daily uh, maintenance deal with these type of players. When you're dealing with any 18 mm -hmm. to 22, 23-year-old kid, um, you know, they're learning and they're maturing right in front of you. And there's growing pains. And, uh, yeah, well, that, the brunt of it is, is certainly on put right on my shoulders. But, you know, that's what comes with the territory when you're building their trust I would expect that on their first phone call. And, you know, you try and diffuse any issues before it gets all the way up to the top. One of the guys that, that we're talking about and has been very vocal about his relationship with you is Cam. Yeah. And uh, he, he's, he sold him on the idea of St. John's. He's like, I'm in, I'm going to New York. I talked to him at media days, and he never in a million years thought he'd end up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. But you were able to, to get that relationship. And, and honestly, as much as, you know, Cam may, may need it at home, Nebraska needed a point guard. So, yeah. you know, you get you get that relationship started. What was that first like of, of you trying to sell him on a place that you've barely had your feet on the ground, but still establishing that relationship that you had with him, that it, it, it could still work out? Yeah, you know what? Not easy. St. John's isn't just a regular stop in my life for me, not just a regular job. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that place clearly means a tremendous uh, amount to me and my family. It's given me so much of my life. It's home. You know, it's where I feel like I grew as a person. So I'm always going to feel a certain way towards um, that place and, and what that school's given to me. And to get a chance to go back there and work was a dream come true. Um, so the, the feelings were tough. But at the same time, you know, it is a part of the business. Um, he clearly felt a, a trust level with me and felt like following me would be um, a wise decision for his career. I mean, ultimately, when you start peeling the layers back on, on why it made a lot of sense, clearly it was a no-brainer for him because uh, we certainly didn't need a point guard. Yeah. We needed a guy that can come in here and, and write this ship and, and help us build this thing into what we know we can build it. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, it's at that, it, it was very difficult, um, not easy conversations for me to have. But, you know, then at the end of the day, too, when it's not like I'm the only one that left. I mean, the entire staff did end up leaving, so – um, in fairness, I know nobody want. I know nothing is fair, but at the end of the day, um, you know any kid in that situation, you got to feel for him, and you know he felt comfortable, and you know certainly for me, we we talk about it and laugh about it all the time. Ending up in Nebraska probably wasn't something we both thought would ever happen, and we're here, and certainly for me, my relationship with him is unique. Uh, you know that the day he came on his official visit to St. John's was the day uh, Shay, my son, was born. I had to literally leave his official visit, get him to sign his NLI before I left. I told my wife, listen, I have to get this kid to sign before I get to the hospital. Luckily, he did, and the rest of the staff took it over. That special relationship is very strong between me and him, and to see where he's at today and how much he's grown since he's gotten here has been awesome. I was just about to, to get into that relationship part because so many times – you know, for people that follow Husker basketball, it's about him getting the first triple double or how many assists is he averaging a game. Yeah. It's there, there's more to it than that, and especially yeah. as a coach who's putting everything he got into into building that relationship. N then comes the fun part. You know, you, you build that relationship, you get him to come here, take a chance, and you sit back and you watch him get a triple double, yeah. and you watch yeah. him have so much. What's that part like? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, what an incredible night for him individually. 
more importantly, what an incredible night for our program. I mean, we're just looking for incremental progress throughout the year and, and giving us positive steps just to give optimism. I mean, that, that's what recruiting's all about. You know, you, you want to sell optimism to people, and we can point to that. And, you know, for, for me, you take it all in. You don't really uh, sit back and, and do it very often, but I certainly did. I was a part of, you know, a triple-double when we were at Iowa State with Royce White, which very similarly, you know, we had a very, very strong relationship. You know, to see that with Cam doing that, he's such an unselfish kid that you know just loves to get other people involved and get them better and it was a great night for him and and his family and you know certainly um not shocking i I would assume that there'll probably be more to come um he finds his way to get get stats up very quickly in games let's uh let's wrap up the first segment with this thought and and it's something that that i'll remember a lot because we're only going to get one season with hanif but i remember before the first game you know, him just kind of sitting there before shoot-around even started, just kind of looking around at, at yeah. the building, just kind of waiting for it to fill up. I have to imagine that that feeling permeated with about everybody on the team other than maybe Deshaun and Thor. Yeah. Um, just to, to finally have that day come of, you know, going through Italy, going through the practices, going through building this thing, to just kind of see the last part that maybe drew them to Lincoln was was the crowd and, and, and the fan base here. For you, what was that for those first couple times like, just yeah. finally seeing it manifest? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing that, if you put it in this perspective is we play, let's say uh, 30 games a year. It's a little bit more than that. And hopefully we'll be more than that in the future, but that's two hours a game, 60 total hours in an entire calendar year. You're talking about two and a half, three days where you're dictated off of those two and a half, three days, your whole profession, your whole career, whether it's a coach, a player, whatever it may be. And so you don't take those moments for granted. And, you know, Hanif being this is his final year, he certainly won't take those for granted. And he's worked so hard. He's gone through so much adversity with him and his family to end up at a high major school again is exactly where he wanted to be. So, yeah, and for me personally, you know, um, there's moments that stick out. You know, for me, of course, that first game, you're just looking around and, you know, you're saying to yourself, well, it's certainly not Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, my experience at Hilton Coliseum, but this is one damn special place. And, you know, you could see it with the, with the fan base and how they pack the place out no matter who the heck you're playing. And it's special, you know, and I can't wait to witness what it looks like when there's a big-time team coming into town and a big-time environment and, and seeing what it could be because we've we've seen certain examples throughout our non-conference play on what it could be and you know, it's awesome. So you never take that part for granted. You know, it, it's there's not many schools in the country, not many programs that are fortunate enough to have a fan base like this. So that's something you can't take for granted. No doubt. Very well said. Nebraska Men's Basketball Show brought to you by your Midwest Ford dealers with them at buyfordnow.com. And Dorothy Lynch Homestyle Dressing and Condiment is the one-of-a-kind taste that goes with anything good for game day or any day. Dorothy Lynch, endless favorabilities. We're back to Michael Massey after the break. Welcome back to Nebraska Men's Basketball Radio Hour. Happy to welcome in now Bobby Lutz, Nebraska assistant coach, special duties right. uh, for you. Let's just start with what it is that, that you were brought here to do. I know um, Coach thinks very highly of your background, been around the game a while. What is it that, uh, that Coach called you with to, to come get some help with? Well, you know, uh, I have limited duties by the NCAA rules. Uh, it's, it's more of an advisory-type position. Uh, spend a lot of time watching film um, of our team and, and future opponents. Technically, I'm not supposed to engage in coaching our players. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's helping the coaches in whatever way is, is needed. And, and with Fred, you know, you know Fred a little bit now, so his mind is – a fertile ground of offensive thoughts. So he, you know, I'm there to to listen to the 115 new plays that he's thinking about putting in to, tomorrow, and you know, I try to get him down to a dozen, uh, and, and advise him on that. Watch film, as I said, of our team, and make suggestions of what we can do better offensively. We share a similar philosophy, and that's why he hired me 2010. So he had seen my Charlotte teams play. You know, and we we led the country or was close in threes attempted before it was popular. We took a lot of abuse for that. 
<laughs> and so that that uh, similarity, I think, is why you know Fred reached out and gave me the chance to come. One of the cool things about a new staff is just to see how you guys kind of fit together. And you know, being in Italy, you got to see kind of your personalities mesh. And being on the floor for the first time was was really a treat to watch. But uh, you've got Fred, obviously, with the NBA ties. You down in the, on the East Coast, and Coach Gates here in the Midwest, and uh, Coach Abdelmassi up in the North. You've got all these kind of different minds and different backgrounds. What was it like for you coming in here and just seeing all the different perspectives of the game? Yeah, you know, it's great. Again, Fred and I were kindred spirits a little bit in that one season, and then I had some issues with my parents' health back in Carolina. And that's I wouldn't have left Fred. I've said it many times. I would not have left Iowa State had it not been for that situation. Like, NC State allowed me to get back. My mom and dad, I I was with them when they both passed away. So it was the right move family-wise. But professionally, it hurt because I I, I knew Fred. And then I knew Matt from that year. Matt Abdomasa was Mm -hmm. there as well. And then Doc, I recruited a JUCO player from here, him in the 90s. So he and I, and then I played. He beat me here, beat our team here when I was at Charlotte in 08 in the NIT. I knew Doc, you know, pretty well. So that was good to to really get to know him, to work Mm -hmm. with him different. Different. And then uh, Gates, I knew his brother really well, yeah. who just got the Cleveland State job uh, from his time at Florida State. It's a, it's a small fraternity in coaching, and, um, and, and it's, it's been great to, to, to be, be around these guys. Everybody's got a little different ideas and perspective, and, you know, it's Fred's job to take from each of us and then figure out what, what he's ultimately going to decide to do. Yeah, the amazing part is, I mean, we, we were just talking with Matt about that, is as much as the players are figuring each other out and how this thing works, I'm sure for the coaches as well, you guys are bouncing off ideas and scouting this scouting that okay are we putting our game plan together how's that part gone just to putting your heads together and and what how coach Hoiberg wants this thing to run in terms of scouts and preparation and how much we're throwing at these kids and all that yeah I think it's been good it's it's it is a work in in, in pro- progress uh you know I mean he brought coach Sadler doc here yeah. to uh, you know to spearhead the defense and in practice you know Fred's certainly still the ultimate authority but he gives doc a lot of uh freedom because that's why he brought him, you know, is to, is to work on that, and me to help advise. Coach Gates is really the is the uh, individual trainer um, mm-hmm. of, of, of our players, and really good with individual workouts and scouting. Yeah. And uh, you know, so C- Coach Gates and I do most of the scouting, and then Coach Sadler, you know, obviously puts his two cents in, especially on how we guard them. You know, what what's the best way to handle the ball screen or the cross screen or whatever it is that they're doing. So it's a collaborative effort, and and honestly. You know, I've been in a long time. Uh, this staff gets along as well as any I've ever been around. And when you're six and seven, that says a lot. You know, when you're twelve and zero, it's yeah. a lot easier for everybody to be happy. But this group, you know, we all know that it's it's year one, and we've got to set the tone with how we work together so that our players work the same way. And it's it's been a lot of fun so far. You've you've dipped your toe in the league a little bit already with two league games and. We were just talking a little bit ago off air about you know the different places you've been in the league and experiences with Big Ten teams. What are you most intrigued by with this league and, and some of these, these teams that you're going to be playing against? Well, it's obviously a great league and, and always has been. But this year, if you look at the experts, the Ken Palm, I think 11 in the top 50 right now are Big Ten. You know, that's not always the case. It's always good. But this year, right now, I think there are more quality teams in the Big Ten than any league in the country. Uh, so great year to be our, a first-year staff, yeah. first-year team. It's a challenge. But at least we, we're going to see what it's going to take going forward. And, and we kind of know that. that We've all been around at the high, high level. Um, you know, for me, from the outside and what, I've, what, what has been affirmed in my short time in those two games and, and watching all the games, really scrutinizing it, you know, like I did in the ACC and Conference USA in years past, is this is the most physical league in America. And I, you've always kind of known that, being a basketball coach, but when you have to prepare for it and you see it, I mean, Rutgers, for example, extremely physical aggressive team and that's what you see throughout this league and I don't know if it's if it's conscious or unconscious but the same officials that call this league and also call ACC or Big 12 they call the game differently when it's a Big 10 game it's more physical they let more things go I mean I was in the ACC a great league for a number of years five and then two a long time ago much less physical doesn't mean it's not physical but not nearly as much and so those are the things that the, the quality and depth of the league this particular year obviously a lot of great coaches and just how physical the league is it, it lives up to all my expectations in that area 18 of them in a row yeah I mean buckle your seatbelts because here we go thankfully it's not three in a week you know uh, yeah. I mean we two a week basically 
early. And, uh, you know, so that first stretch was tough. It's a quick turnaround, and our guys handled it extremely well, beating yeah. Purdue on the quick turnaround. Yeah, it was, I, I, wanna, I want us to have time to prepare, and I'm glad that that schedule will allow us the rest of the way. Yeah, obviously that's uh, that was a huge, huge week for the team, just psychologically, you know, to get in that headspace to where with this thing started, they know that they can do it. Well, we've been counting down the top 10 moments of the Oscar Sports Network in 2019, and we have finally reached moment number one. The Sports Nightly Top 10 Moments of the Year. Left side for the match. Matty Kubik. She got it! They did it! Nebraska beats Penn State. It's now the Magnificent Seven comes through. Measuring it, waiting for it. He gloves it, and the Huskers have beaten number three, Texas Tech, here in Frisco, Texas. Tonight. Nine, eight, Sam Hybe goes the way of God! Sam Hybe gives Nebraska a four-point Nebraska has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all-time games. Number one. Gomez is 1-0 pitch. Popped up, left side. Spencer Swillenbach's going to give way to Angelo Altavilla, who's backing up, drifting over, makes the catch, and for the third time since Nebraska joined the Big Ten Conference, the Huskers are playing in the championship game. They'll get after either Ohio State or Minnesota tomorrow at 3 o'clock as they take down Michigan tonight, a final of 7-3. Well, we, we did it. Moment number one. We, we, we made it here, and it's a good thing that we put this list together because we... We got to homer this thing. You and I are number one. We're number one, Greg. <laughs> well, it was done out of, you know, what what had significance to it. And I think what we've picked here, this Husker baseball went over Michigan on a Saturday night in front of 11,000 fans at TD Ameritrade was, was pretty special. It put Nebraska into a conference championship game. And, you know, I think what what we left with, and I remember you and I walking to the elevator after the game going, we just beat a really good team. And that certainly proved out over the next month as Michigan made it all the way to the national championship game. So it was uh, a game we knew was pretty significant to the time and gave Nebraska a chance to win a conference title. Not only beat them, Greg, but beat them three out of five. They beat them in a five-game series because they had just played at Haymarket Park, and then we played them um, – up at up at TD Ameritrade twice, so it wasn't a fluke. I mean, Nebraska won that season series. They did, and you know, there was a second game of the day between the two teams because Michigan just rocked Nebraska in the morning game, the nine a.m. game. And um, I, I think, in some ways, Ben, by, by getting bombed like Nebraska did, that that's easier to just say, okay, throw that one away, let's move on, than if they would have lost a, a heartbreaker in the morning session, and because. Some games had gone long throughout the day. It was supposed to be a game with four games played that day, but the, the, the games had gone so long up until that point, uh, it pushed them what was going to be a, a 7.30 start to the next morning between Ohio State mm-hmm. and Minnesota. And I, But I do think for Nebraska, they, were, they benefited from just getting wiped out of that morning session. They could clear their head, come back, and, and get after the Wolverines that night. That felt like a championship game that night. I mean, that, those teams hated each other. Uh, we were tired of them. They were tired of us. And the crowd was into it. The, uh, the, the scuffles that, that nearly broke out between some players that I won't name. But it was like it, it felt like a championship game because of all the bad blood built up in an eight-day span. Sure did. And, and, you know, that's the thing. Those teams played those five games over eight days. So they, they, they were sick of each other. Uh, they were tired of each other, and there were some scrappy players, and, and the two teams were pretty scrappy uh, together. But, boy, what an effort by Robbie Popper. Remember how he came in in relief of Kyle Perry, who did a great job getting the game into the fourth inning, allowing Nebraska to build the lead, and then Popper was just incredible. Five innings plus of shutdown relief, and Nebraska got some big hits. Spencer Schwellenbach had a big hit early in the game to give Nebraska the lead. And Oscars win at 7-3 to three and had a chance in the ninth, Ben, to add to the lead. Uh, but Michigan, which had a great bullpen, able to kind of give themselves a chance. But Kobe Gomez said, "No, no way, no how." In the bottom of the ninth to get Nebraska into the title game. Yeah, it was a fun, fun week for sure. You just you wish they could have came out on top against Ohio State. Ran into just one too many left-handed pitchers, but uh, that was a phenomenal night. One of the f- most fun nights I've ever had behind the mic of, of any game ever. And, and gave us a lot of confidence going to a regional because of how, how that team played at the end of the year and uh, was one pitch away, in my opinion, from winning that regional in Stillwater. They still had work to do if they got Trevor Boone out. But 
Uh, unfortunately, that that wasn't the case. And, you know, we are uh, T-minus 50 days away from, from ushering in another era. Sure is. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it was just a really good week. You know, if you think back, Nebraska run rules, Iowa to get – Get the day off. Yeah, they were tired. Of, they, were, they were tired of hearing about them struggling with Iowa. Yeah, so they just hammered Iowa. Got a great pitching performance in the opening game against Minnesota from from Matt Waldron, who then came back and started the finals against Ohio State, and and you know that was a great pitching duel. And uh, it was a fun week. It, it didn't end the way that you know any of us wanted to. But boy, the Michigan game on a Saturday night was. Really good feel for a lot of Husker fans. Sure was. Well, we made it to number one. Hopefully, uh, hopefully next next go around we have a maybe a, a bowl game to talk about, maybe a, a championship here and there, and a conference tournament or something like that. But uh, that officially wraps up Husker Sports Best Moments of 2019. Hopefully, we start building some later this week with with some basketball games. And you're right, it was a, it was an odd top ten list for us, man, with only the one football game in, in there. Several volleyball matches, rightfully so. We had a couple of men's basketball games, a women's basketball game, and a handful of baseball games. But it was a really memorable baseball season uh, back in the NCAA tournament for three out of four years and, and ended uh, ended during Erstad's run as Nebraska's coach. And you're right, the new era begins here in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Will Bull era. All right, thanks for stopping by. Have a good new year. You bet. The voice of the Oscars, Greg Sharp, with us here on Sports Nightly, reliving moment number one, that semifinal victory over national runner-up, the Michigan 